Welcome to the NOLA Podcast. I'm Rue. This episode, we vibe with producer, trombonist, and all-around cool brother, Delphio Marcellus. We discuss his upbringing, being from one of New Orleans' most famous families, his latest production, the Jazz at Congo Square Festival, and how he strives to continue in the footsteps of his famous family and keep it real. As always, Bugash has the interview. My brother, take it away. How are you doing, brother? What's going on? How you Pretty doing? Yeah, everything's alright, bro. How about yourself? Oh, excellent. Yeah, man. So I know you're always doing amazing things. So let's just uh, jump right in and talk about your your upcoming event in, in Armstrong Park. Uh, just the scope of it and what's the purpose of it. Well, we thought it would be a good time to celebrate Congo Square, and it actually started. We were going to do a live stream for Juneteenth celebration, but we kind of we didn't really get to it in time. So we were thinking, you know, we would try to do it right, and came out came to be that uh, we started the first annual Jazz at Congo Square Jazz Festival or Jazz at Congo Square Festival, I should say. Nice. What was the festival actually entail? So we'll have music from 12 to 7 p.m. And the music starts with DJ Captain Charles. And he'll set everything up for about an hour. Then we have the Congo Square Drum Circle. We're going to perform and then we'll do a libation. And then we'll have different musical acts throughout the day. Of course, Tanya Boyd Cannon, Vegas Cola, uh, Kyle Roussel. They all have their groups, Mickey and Jovan. And it will culminate with our Uptown Jazz Orchestra, and the Stooges Brass Band. Right now, you chose Congo Square. There's a lot of uh, controversy around you know, Congo Square and, uh, in, in the city attempting to move it over to Congo Square. So with the timing of such an event of, of in, in a sacred space like Congo Square, just talk about your feelings about, you know, building out a festival at Congo Square and why is that important now? Yeah, Congo Square is important not only for black folk in the city, but it's important for the entire country. And what it represents is it's something that we should not only cherish, but we should also try to pay more respect and more homage to it. And I think it's like a lot of things in America. We wait until something's about to either be destroyed or we're about to lose it. And then we're like, wait, wait a minute. (laughs) So for for me, it's less of the political ramifications and more about this is a place that it's like your parents. You can never honor your parents too much. So this is a place that we cannot honor too much. So irrespective of, of what happens, while we can, I think it's important for us to, to recognize that. And you have the Congo Square Drum Circle, and they've been for years, maybe 30 years, performing every Sunday. And that's extremely important. And it's something that I'm going to try to participate more in. In fact, I'm going to check them out today because it's, it's more about how our ancestors were. It, they were more about community. And you know, so, so black folk have had a tough time here in America. I mean, it's just something that is not going to end. That's just what it is. So Congo Square is a place that we can meet. It's almost like a safe haven. We can meet and we can kind of just have a, a spiritual experience or just go have a good time. Just, you know, just, it should be that kind of place. It should be a place that can mean whatever it needs to mean for you. You know, and speaking of, of community and family and whatnot, you know, you have you know several other ventures that you are involved in and actually engage 
young people and engage the community. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so we have our Uptown Music Theater, of course, and we've been running that for 20 years. And, and the kids have just done a phenomenal job. And that's really more like a family than anything else. And that what, what gives the, the kids, we're hoping that it's something that they can not only use as they grow into adults, but that it will inspire them to maybe create community-based organizations. Uh, then we have, of course, our Uptown Jazz Orchestra. And from that, we've had youth that have come in and played. And we're about to start more of an outreach to try to get more young, more the, the New Orleans youth involved with, you know, learning jazz and playing it and having a good time. You know, speaking of his family, I mean, because you are from, you know, such an amazing musical family, one of many New Orleans uh, musical families. Just talk about about your life and how is it that, you know, you got involved in music and being raised in a house with so much music around you and that influence on you and what you do today. Right. Well, my, my older brothers were, of course, a major influence, Branford and Winton, uh, when I was growing up. And it was just one of those things. I started playing music because I saw them doing it. And it was something that I wanted to give it, you know, to try. And it grew into a, a career, grew into something that I hadn't imagined as a kid. And as you mentioned, the many great families, if it's the Barbaran family or the Jordan family or the uh, Andrews family, the Baptiste family. I mean, you know, so many great musical families from New Orleans. Uh, I think it's just a great thing. And, and that's what happens a lot of times when you're in the same household with individuals and you have the same mindset. So there's still probably, I would imagine, especially in the brass band community, that's still going on. And uh, we just want to try to, you know, to contribute in whatever way we can to help out the youngsters. And that was always something important to both my mother and father, you know, being a resource and being able to help the young people. And your brothers have, um, you know, Winton and Branford have um, become ambassadors for not just New Orleans, but for jazz music more generally and, uh, and left New Orleans to seek their fortune out, if you will. And you have uh, decided that you would you would base yourself in New Orleans. I know you do work with them and you work as a producer as well. What is it that made you want to stay in New Orleans and, and do your craft versus uh, using New York or some other places you're based? You know, it started off kind of simple. I went to New York for a, a couple of months and didn't find a place that I liked as far as an apartment. So I said, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to come back home. Uh, and that just kind of, once I was here, I said, man, for me, there was no reason to leave. And there were great musicians here and, you know, lots of opportunity to, to reach out as far as the community outreach. And it's just a place that I've, I've loved calling home. And, you know, there's a number of great musicians, too, that uh, are still here. You know, Terrence Blanchard and Donald Harrison, Nicholas Payton. Uh, so we just, it's just New Orleans, man. It's what's happening. It's home. And um, now we're in the middle of, of COVID. And, uh, of course, you know, my condolences continue to be with, with your family for the loss of your father, the great Alex Marcellus. You talk about the influence of uh, your father on, on you, your brothers, and just his impact in the world of jazz more generally. Yeah, my father was real, and that was his greatest attribute, is he told it like it was, and he wasn't a pretentious man. So he had a great impact on us as a musician. We would see him when we were younger. He'd plan performances, and they would have very few people in the in the audience. But he always approached his music with a certain love and uh, 
and and what what I say, it, you know, it was obvious that he loved what he was doing, and he was serious about it. Uh, so that's something that I, that always stands by. That we always remember that, you know, it's almost like when you think back to our ancestors, and they have to call upon the higher power in the tough circumstances, and that just was the lesson that we learned. That you know, love what you're doing, and it can, you know, you get great rewards. It's not so much a financial reward. It's just the, the idea of doing something that's meaningful. So for me, you know, I've tried to stay in that, use that as a model for what I'm doing. More of our combo with Delphio after these brief messages. This episode was brought to you in part by Mr. Chill's First Class Cuts, located at 2734 South Carrollton Avenue, is the premier barbershop in the city of New Orleans. Founded by the iconic Wilbert Mr. Chill Wilson, it continues to be the place where one can receive first class service. So call today at 504-861-7530 to make an appointment. Mr. Chill's First Class Cuts, continuing the tradition of excellence, service, and giving back to the community. Back to our conversation with Delphio Marcellus. Being from New Orleans, and I know that you have traveled around the globe, and people ask and talk about New Orleans. And I'm saying, what is, if somebody were to ask, what is it that's so special? What's the secret ingredient of life in New Orleans that makes the people who they are? What would you say that was? Those African traditions. The fact that the Africans came here and not only improvised and negotiated, somehow managed to work out that what we would consider plantation life family but they kept a lot of the the uh, the uniqueness, the idea of community and the love for people, the idea of celebration and joy in the face of uh, you know optimism in the face of adversity, uh, the flavoring in the food, the dancing. These are things that we can trace back to. Yeah, this is this comes straight out of that African tradition. So in uh, other cultures too, but that's the main source is the strength of the African people who were African-Americans. And uh, that's something that we shouldn't take uh, for granted too much. Yeah, I would uh, I would say that in our gumbo, that definitely the, the African component is the root that kind of bring all of it together. And, uh, and I'll say that to say this, that in the face of changes, but the city became what it became while, you know, different people came here and changed certain things. What, what's your take on when you look around the city and you see some of the changes in the city? Oh, for example, let's say Tremaine, a, a traditional community where the brass bands kind of come together and whatnot and people move in communities and then they decide that that's noise. So they have noise ordinances and different things like that. Right, right. And, we, you know, that kind of thing. How does that perhaps alter or change some of those traditions or you think that they will continue? Oh, they'll, they'll certainly continue. I mean, black folk have faced more uh, uh, opposition than any other. I, I don't know of a, another group of folks that have triumphed through so many challenges. That's not new news at all. I mean, that's something that's been going on. Folks have had to move, they've had to change their location. But there's something about the music and the whole spirituality of it that's important to especially the descendants of the African peoples here in New Orleans. So that's going to keep going. It's just a question of where, okay, are folks going to end up in the East? You know, at one point they were uptown and then they ended up downtown and then not, some ended up back uptown. So 
So, <laughs> you know, it, it will make it tough, but we always manage to rise through the toughness. If you look at, for example, the black masking Indian tradition, and it's changed greatly. And some of the youngsters, from what I've heard, are not as in tune with these traditions, but it will become an important part of that tradition, however they choose to keep it going. So, you know, we just have to maintain, for example, with the, the funeral service and you have the second line, well, there are certain traditions now that folks are not dealing with. The youngster, youngsters are not dealing with the actual tradition of that. So those who know the tradition have an obligation to make sure that these young people at least know what those aspects of the tradition are. So even if they cho choose not to follow that tradition, they know that it exists. Uh, so that's something I've talked with like Herlin Riley and Dr. Michael White about that. We have an obligation. I feel now more that I have an obligation to at least be present so that the youngsters know certain aspects of the tradition than I did when I first moved back here, you know, in 1989, 1990. Right. And I would say that you actually have done that with much of the work you, you have done. So, but, but moving forward with this particular thing that you all are doing in Congo Square is an amazing thing. And so to move on that, what other things do you have planned for, for Congo Square? Just some of the other work that you plan on doing around town about teaching and preserving the culture? Well, I'm, I'm in talks with uh, Luther Gray. And the first thing I want to do is just appreciate and respect what is in, in existence and what the Congo Square drum circle represents. And then I just want to encourage the younger people to, I guess I'd say, have a developer relationship with Congo Square. A lot of times in with Black History, man, it's painful for Black folk. It's like it's, it's painful, the memories of things that happen. And sometimes we don't want to embrace it as much because we say, OK, we got to We're always trying to get to a brighter place. But uh, I find that, you know, we can find that brightness. When I went to I went to Congo Square last week, I hadn't been there in a while. Man, it's just a great and it's a great place. You literally can feel the spirituality of it, and it's calm. It's something that we actually, you know, more of our young people could could really benefit from just being a part of something. You know, it doesn't always have to be something flashy or, you know, a great deal of commercialism. Sometimes that's what we need to not only calm us, but to also help us to feel rooted. So, you know, I'm also gonna reach out to the older uh, people and just get some ideas from them. And much of what I, I hear is sometimes it's just the idea of being present. A lot of times that's all that needs to happen. You just need to show up. You need to be there. And uh, and that there's strength in that. Right. And a couple of quick ones. So what is it that, at this point of your life? What is it that gives your life uh, meaning and purpose? Well, <laughs> I don't know that it's one thing, you know, um, of course, I have uh, our daughter is 20 years old and she's off in school, so that's important. But, you know, having worked with our Uptown Music Theater kids, that's been enlightening. Um, but the opportunity to play music and to to contribute and to be involved with things. So it's not one particular thing. I mean, it's many different things. And uh, I just have a, a, a better appreciation for life, you know, now that both of my parents have passed on. And, you know, just dealing with that reality that that's we're going to have to accept life's one guarantee someday uh, really makes me appreciate what the ancestors went through and the fact that they had the strength and the resolve to fight through, man, a lot, like really a lot. 
And that's been my response to the pandemic when folks say the pandemic, oh, nothing's going to be the same and this and that. And I, I said, well, yeah, a couple of hundred years ago, some folks were walking, having a good time on the, on the, uh, the shorelines of Africa with their feet in the water. And all of a sudden, a, a boat showed up with some chains and they knew that their lives were never going to be the same. And somehow they managed to, to make it happen and to find some joy. So, you know, that's my thing is whatever toughness we're going through, it could be much tougher. Right. What would you say that the biggest life lessons that you learned from uh, your parents? Oh, I mean, it's everything. <laughs> the biggest, <laughs> I'm, you know, my, my parents would, I would say to, to try to, to address things with honesty and morality. That would be the big things that, that always what the goal is to try to, that's what I would say. The biggest life lessons is, you know, to address life with honesty and morality. You know, and finally, New Orleans is a city with uh, so much flavor. What is um, Delphi Omar Salas' recipe for a successful, healthy, and prosperous life? Just, you know, at this point, it's, it's surrounding myself with individuals who are real. And that was the great thing, as I mentioned about my dad. Uh, so, for example, in the band, I have, you know, Roderick Paulin and Roger Lewis are in the band. Uh, in the New Orleans contingent, especially Hurl and Riley, there just there's a realness about it, and it reminds me of the great jazz musicians who I was fortunate to share the bandstand with in the past. You know, Elvin Jones and Max Roach. So it's just to to have a variety of people, not just one way of living, not just one way of thinking, but to try to have a collection of people and just see what type of uh, conclusions we come up with. So that's that's where I am, you know. And I'm really looking forward to the relationship that I'm developing with the Congo Square Drum Circle. And uh, we're just going to keep it going. Brendan, is there anything else that we have? I know we've covered a lot of things. Is there anything else that you would like to to say before we before we sign off? Right. Only thing I did miss mentioning Sonny Patterson, our great poet, one of our great spokespeople. Uh, she's also performing with us next week, and she will perform with our Uptown Jazz Orchestra. So, you know, that's it's going to be a great time, and we're going to we've always been a fan of collaborations. So hopefully, we'll have a uh, big powwow with the, the Stooges Brass Band and the Jazz Orchestra. You know, we're going to have give everybody the opportunity to become involved uh, at the end of the show. Well, and that is amazing, and I uh, look forward to it and uh, appreciate our conversation and I want to definitely continue and whatever we can do to contribute to your many missions in towards uh, working with Congo Square as well as dealing with young people we definitely want to continue and, and to collaborate with you. Yes sir. No I appreciate it. I appreciate your questions and you know the thoughtfulness and uh, we just keep it keep it happening. <laughs> yeah, great. You have a good one. Take care of yourself. Alright thanks bro. Alright later. Thanks for listening and thanks to Delphio Marcellus. You can find out more about what he's up to at dmarcellus.com. Make sure to subscribe to get the next episode of the No Look Podcast. For Bugaj, I'm Rue. Peace.